You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this month of episodes is brought to us by Bravery Magazine, an incredible quarterly print publication for girls and boys ages 5 to 12. Each issue is centered around a strong female role model and includes original stories, fun DIYs, activity pages, and more. I hope you heard last week's episode where I interviewed the founders of Bravery about utilizing role models from history and current events to inspire our children to be their own kind of brave. We recorded that episode weeks ago, but it turned out to be incredibly timely for the moment in history that we are in right now, where we are confronting social injustices in our world and wanting to teach our children how to be more kind, inclusive, fearless, and fair. You can go to braverymag.com to check out all of the women who've been featured in their magazines. And if right now you are particularly interested in teaching your children about racial prejudice and black women who've made an impact in the world, there's an issue about Maya Angelou an African-American poet and civil rights activist, and another about Mae Jemison, the first African-American female astronaut to go to space. It is a true honor to partner with this company at this time, and they've also been so generous to offer 10% off to our listeners with the code 3in30. So go to braverymag.com and enter the code 3in30 at checkout. And now, on to the show. This is episode 133, answering your questions about colorblindness and racism. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, my friends. It has been a heavy few weeks here in the United States as our country has been rocked by the murder of George Floyd and people have taken to the streets and to social media to express their anger and also to listen and to learn from one another. Maybe you felt anxious, overwhelmed, heartbroken, confused, humbled, frustrated, or scared. Or maybe like me, you felt all of that. That's why I knew it was so important to continue our conversation about racism on the podcast this week by inviting back two women who have profoundly impacted my life and taught me so much over the past year, Dr. Lucretia Berry of Brownicity and Jasmine Bradshaw of the First Name Basis podcast. I got to know these two brilliant mothers and anti-racism educators when they each came on the podcast in the last year, and I'm so grateful that our friendships have deepened since that time and they have continued to teach me off the air about these super important topics that are dramatically impacting our country right now. Because I have a relationship of trust with these women, I've been able to ask them some of my uncomfortable and uninformed questions, and having those heartfelt conversations with them has taught me so much and really changed my life. Today, I'm asking them your questions, which I've gathered from emails and messages I received after these two ladies came on the show. I grouped similar questions together, and then I chose three that we will focus on today. So instead of having three takeaways in this episode, we'll address three major questions, and we'll probably have lots of takeaways under each, but don't worry, I will recap at the end. I want to tell you up front that this is a dense conversation, especially if you're new to anti-racism work. So you may need to jot down notes, discuss the episode with a friend, or listen to it more than once. And if you're interested in seeing the video of the three of us talking together and hear our entire conversation, which was actually an hour long, I've posted that on YouTube and I'll put the link in the show notes. I've edited down our conversation with Dr. Barry and Jasmine's permission to keep it closer to my promised 30 minutes, but I did want to make sure the entire discussion is available for you to watch if you're interested in diving in deeper. 
My friends, as we head into the episode, I want you to imagine that I'm inviting you into my home right now to sit with me and be taught by two of my dear friends. That is truly how I think of all 3 and 30 episodes, but especially this one. And I'm so grateful to be part of a community of women where we are genuinely listening, learning, and seeking together. Thank you for being here and for learning with me. And here's my conversation with Jasmine Bradshaw and Dr. Lucretia Berry. Jasmine and Dr. Berry, welcome to 3 and 30. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's, it is thrilling for me to have you both on here at the same time. And you are both such busy women, and especially in the last few weeks with everything that's happening, I know there's big demands on your time, and you made time to come on and talk to us today for 3 and 30. It means so much, so thank you for being here. Yes, look, we always want to teach. That's what we want to do, right, Jasmine? <laughs> so thank you for making space in the, um, in the midst of all of the noise through 3 and 30 podcast and Jasmine through First Name Basis to put out the sound that people actually need to tune into. So I am grateful. Thank oh. you. Well, and I feel like that with, with your, the, your work, both of you, I just keep telling people there's so, there's so much good work out there and I don't want to dismiss mm-hmm. any of that. But I'm also like, it can get overwhelming with the number of resources. And so I just keep saying these two ladies, these two ladies, mm-hmm. because I've known you, I've, I've known mm-hmm. your work for a while. I've listened, I've learned, and I just so value and respect what you teach and how you teach it. Let's dive into our questions because as we, as we all know, there's no way that we can really address these complex topics in 30 minutes, but we are going to give some things to think about. And then we encourage people to dive in deeper and do the work and the research on each one of these questions further. But our first question came in after Dr. Barry came on the podcast. One of the things that she talked about was that children are not colorblind and that we can't just claim colorblindness and say, I don't see color. We need to talk to our kids about skin tone and give them that language. Um, to, to describe the world and to see the world. And I got several questions from people that said, I think my kids are colorblind because they don't ever describe people by the color of their skin. They, a, a mom said, you know, um, one of my child was trying to describe the actors from cool runnings, which is a Jamaican team. And he said he has black hair and he has, and he never said he has black skin. So I don't think my kids see that. Um, and another one, another mom said, when my kid describes his friends at school, he never talks about their skin tone. And so why should I point it out or why should I bring it up? Cause I, I really think my kids are colorblind. So my first question is if children aren't colorblind, why don't my children ever describe people by the color of their skin? So there's a few things to unpack there. Um, and I think we talked about this on the previous episode and, and I talk about it in my TED talk and, you know, you can find the research any, anywhere now that um, as early as three months old, children are distinguishing phenotypical differences. Now your phenotype is what you, what you look like and, and what we look like has of course been um, sorted into these categories, these racial categories of white, black, um, Asian, so what is happening with your child, they certainly see that people look differently. And, um, and just this, the question about, you know, or the comment about hair, well, the reason why your child can uh, say something about someone's hair is because you have 
essentially given them permission to talk about the hair. You've given them language to talk Mm -hmm. about hair. You've given them language to describe the red fire truck and the blue sky and the green trees. Mm -hmm. But what, if you've been silent and you haven't given them language um, around skin tone, then um, they don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. One, one thought I'd had is if skin tone is so obvious to children, they see it. Mm -hmm. um, And then, but then the adults around them are never addressing it. Mm -hmm. It might, they just from that, they might pick up that it's a taboo because they're like, this is one of the most obvious characteristics of this person. Mm -hmm. And my parents are not mentioning it. So why? Okay. I guess I shouldn't either. Mm -hmm. So like the color silence, even if nobody's ever told them that they can't talk about that, the color silence, when it is so obvious to them, maybe starts to make them feel that they can't talk about it. Does that, that's just something that I, I don't know if any research supports that, but that's something that I've wondered about. The research supports that, you know, it's it's just like living in the air, you know, it's like whatever is in the atmosphere, whatever is in the atmosphere becomes a part of you, like is a part of your making, Um, whatever, you know, whatever's in your water, you're drinking becomes a part of the constitution of your body. Mm-hmm. So if there's an absence of conversations, acknowledgement and vocabulary around skin tone, then that is kind of shaping and making um, your child or you as well. Yeah. So interesting. Jasmine, what thoughts do you have on this? Yeah, Rachel, you hit the nail on the head when you said the color silence speaks really loud, right? Like the socialization that we are showing to our children is a lot of times when they do bring up skin tone, they are hushed and oh my goodness, it's an embarrassing thing for the parents and they pick up on that, right? And so the research shows that if they start to ask questions or say things about skin tone and they get um, a tense reaction or a negative reaction from their parents, they stop asking those questions. It's not that the questions go away. They just stop asking them because they know, oh, mom or dad or whoever felt uncomfortable last time I said that. And I think another thing to note is that we live in a very segregated society. So if you look around in your community, how many opportunities do they have to talk about skin tone, to to be interacting with people who have different skin tones or in your home? Do you have books? Do you have, you know, movies and all of those things where they can ask the questions because if they're getting older and you don't have these conversations when they're really young, then that's when they get that message that, oh, this is just something that we don't talk about. And of course, you know, little, little kids will say whatever's on their mind. So it's kind of a blessing that they're, they have no filter when they're young because you can see where their misconceptions are, or you can see really what's going on in their minds around this topic. Yeah. And, and that leads to another question. If your child does acknowledge race, especially if they are in front of the person um, and they say like, mommy, why is her skin brown? Or, um, you know, anything that maybe even something that might be offensive, like, is she all dirty or something like that? What, as a parent, how should you respond to that? Um, so I would use that as a teachable moment. I mean, it feel it might feel embarrassing to you that your child is saying this, but the way you react in this moment is so crucial. So when they say that, why are they all dirty or are they all covered in black paint? Your reaction should be, oh no, they're not covered in black paint. Look at their skin as a beautiful shade of. 
And that's where you having the, the vocabulary to describe people's different skin tones as different shades of brown is really important, right? Mm. So if you can say, oh, look at their skin is a beautiful shade of deep brown or dark brown, or um, I would describe my skin as more of a caramely color. Oh, look at how her skin is a beautiful shade of caramel. And you can take their arm and show them their skin and then you know have a word for the color of their skin and of course your hope we, our hope is that you have already had the conversation about melanin with them before you get into this situation if you haven't then you need to go home and have that conversation because obviously this is a long <laughs> a long conversation to have when somebody's standing right there right right um yeah. but if you have had that conversation about melanin you can just bring that up again do you remember when we talked about melanin they have more melanin in their skin than we do and we have less melanin and that is why they're darker than us or that's why we are lighter than them but i also want to point out how important it is to connect for them that this person is a friend so mm you are you see a complete stranger and they're asking about their skin color and you want to stop and say oh my goodness i'm so excited that we met a new friend and then jump into that conversation hmm. and even i'm sure address the person i mean if the person is standing right next to you don't just ignore them and have this whole conversation with your kid but say yes their skin is a beautiful shade of this because of melanin and then maybe smile at the person and say hello what's your name or, or engage in a conversation in some way to show your child this is a friend um and i did want to say that a mom reached out to me this week after um your your both of your episodes have been shared amongst my community this week and one of the moms reached out and said that she had always thought that her kids were colorblind, but after listening to Dr. Barry's episode, she started this conversation with them and she, she showed some pictures of people and she said, um, do you see how they all have different color skin? And her daughter said, yes, those people have brown skin. I have normal skin. Mm -hmm. And yes. she said that all of a sudden she realized, oh my goodness, like mm -hmm. my child does have implicit bias. It's not her fault, mm -hmm. but just the fact that she said, I have normal skin right. and these other people have a different color. She's like, thank you for giving me the vocabulary to have this discussion. So I could say to my daughter, oh no, all skin is normal. Mm -hmm. It just has different amounts of melanin in it. That's right. So that was inspired by your episode, Dr. Barry. And I just <laughs> love thinking about like all these conversations happening in homes all over the world, right. hopefully where moms are starting to talk about this and dads, where families are starting to talk about this with their kids. Yes. And I just wanted to, um, something that Jasmine was pointing out, I'm mm -hmm. like writing down stuff as she's talking, but this is, is so important. I've seen so much uh, lately, of course, is how do we talk to our kids? And, and I do want to caution people that, you know, we, we learn from our history. And um, one thing that we didn't do well as a country was when we moved from segregated schools to integrated schools, essentially what we did was we put, the, we made the children go first, but we did not integrate as adults. The adults didn't have to do the work that they were asking the children to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that has been research shows that that was a major flaw. Like adults should have had to um, integrate their lives first and do the work first um, before trying to get children to do it. And so I want to encourage parents to go first, go first, mm -hmm. um, you know, get, get some understanding, get an education. I want parents to, um, you know, empower themselves. And of course we're here to help with that so that, you know, they have the, uh, the substance, um, the wherewithal and, and the wisdom 
to talk to their children early because see, you won't have that embarrassing thing in public if you're already talking about melanin at home and you're, you know, have all the picture books early and at home. And I know some people, um, you know, feel, you know, maybe uncomfortable about introducing the conversation with their children. And again, I want to say, just dive in, go Mm -hmm. first, and you will build the confidence to be able to just flow with your child. I love how you brought up history there. I, and I know that's at the heart of your work. Um, So much of your work goes back to, let's see what the history says, not just relying on anecdotes, Mm -hmm. but let's rely on the research. Um, And I think that that leads really well into our second question. Um, So our second question came from someone who said, um, I have a black friend who says that she has not experienced racism. So it's hard for me to believe what I hear about racism in the news. Should I listen to my friend or should I listen to the voices of the media? So what are both of your thoughts on this? Well, a few things. Okay, so first of all, we make us a false assumption that just because someone is Black or someone is a person of color, that they understand what racism is. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to just read this one definition. Um, And again, we want to listen to sociologists, um, people who have been doing um, this work. And yes, um, your, your friend's story is is valid as well. But oftentimes when you don't have the context of the, you know, the bigger picture, then you can, you can think that you haven't experienced it. So racism involves one group having the power to carry out systemic discrimination through the major institutions of society. So you have, you know, the systemic level, which is institutional, like um, government courts, laws, banks, schools, you have structural Um, which is a part of the system. So public policies, institutional practices, cultural representation. And then usually though, when people say, I haven't, if you're maybe African-American and you say, I haven't experienced racism, you're talking about individual racism. So you're talking about maybe interpersonal, which occurs between um, individuals. So no one has outrightly called you the N-word or no one has um, maybe said, I don't like you because you're Black. And so generally when, when, People, when educators or the sociologists and the experts, the criminal, like the justice people, they're talking about racism systemically. People and and especially media will, of course, highlight personal stories and anecdotes. Um, So I'll just say this um, to the people who say, well, I'm not racist. I have a black friend or a friend of color, but but the system is still in place. And so then the question is not about you personally, like I feel good about myself. I'm morally intact because I have friends of color, but it's, but you should say, we should be asking, but what am I doing to disrupt these systemic things that constantly create these outcomes where um, African-Americans or people of color are being disproportionately harmed or dehumanized. And again, um, you know, we, people need to broaden their understanding of racism from the individual part. I Mm -hmm. have gone into spaces and places where I'll tell my story and, um, and I'm, or tell parts of my story and I'm like, yeah. And, you know, and I'm talking about how uh, racism became like, was always been very visible to me. So sometimes I'm perplexed, even when people say, they're colorblind. And I'm like, dang, did I grow up on another planet? Like, how are y'all doing that? Because <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. since I've been in preschool, 
you know, I'm like, I can see things, right? And, and, it, and I'm not talking about overt bad behavior. I mean, I could see patterns and systems. And so I was saying, well, yeah, and I remember being in high school. No, I remember in middle school observing the tracking that started to happen where I could see um, African-American kids being tracked down to um, basic and um, regular classes. And then the white kids being tracked up to honors and advanced classes. And um, so I go on and tell my story. And then at the end, someone will say, have you ever experienced racism in your life? Like experienced yourself? You know, in other words, they're saying, has anybody ever called you the N word? Or are you just, you know, talking about this whole concept or idea of racism? And I'm thinking, wow, I just told you a whole story here. And so what I'm seeing is that your understanding of racism is very superficial and very narrow. So we have got to understand the categories, the levels, and the complexity um, of this structural system that has been shaping and modeling us and determining determining our identities and narrating our lives um, without us even really knowing it. Yeah. And one thing that Jasmine has taught me is that um, to just remember that people many people have devoted their entire lives to researching this work. And so one person's anecdotal experience, that may be true for them, but we shouldn't mm-hmm. take that to, to negate, you know, all of this, all of this, um, all of this the, work and yeah. this research and that has right. been done that shows that yeah. this is very real, even if maybe that one person's experience doesn't fit with it. But, and again, listen to them and believe them, but For also sure. learn. And that's what I love, um, Dr. Barry, that you have curriculum that you've developed that teaches history, the history mm-hmm. of this country and slavery mm-hmm. and where this all came from. And so that you have a bigger contextual understanding of why this is happening and how maybe that one person's experience is different, right. but that doesn't negate the hundreds of thousands of people that have experienced racism. So Jasmine, do you have any further thoughts on this? One thing that I would say is um, when Dr. Barry was talking about her telling the story of the racism that she has seen in her life, and then for someone to raise their hand and say, wait, but have you, what racist thing has happened to you? Like, first of all, that's a really inappropriate question because asking Black people to relive the trauma of the racist things that have happened to us is not acceptable or okay. But also kind of like, like prove it. Yes. Like prove it to me. Well, and and I can be like, well, how much time you got? Sit down. <laughs> and let me just go, let me just go. Like I'll start from two years old and then I'll just walk you down. If you're willing to put in that time, because you're really not willing to put in the time to hear me list out all of the things. Yeah. You're just trying to push back at me right okay mm-hmm. so, I'm sorry go ahead. yeah it's that they're sitting with discomfort that they are um, trying to understand the, this cognitive dissonance where they have not been able to see racism and then Dr. Barry describes it as this overarching system and that's overwhelming for people it's understanding it's understandable that you are completely overwhelmed when you learn about systemic mm-hmm. racism but don't prioritize your discomfort over action and over use it to fuel you to make change and be part of the solution to the system that we're facing. Mm. And I do think Jasmine, that you really speak there to there's something within us sometimes that like 
it's like, we want to hear the horror story, you know, like as human beings. And it's like, I'll only be spurred into action if you can prove it through like the most terrible story or example. And I mean, we've seen that somewhat in our country with the murder of George Floyd. Like it took that for Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, this is real. You know, like, it's like, we've been, there's been all of these things that have maybe been less overt. I mean, there's been lots of things that have been overt too, but, but why do we need to have this horrible thing or this horrible example in order to believe that racism is apparent in our systems? So So thank you for, for bringing that out. So we're on our third takeaway here, our third question, and this is a biggie. (laughs) And I feel like it's like, we all need to take a deep breath here. But um, many people have reached out to me and asked about reverse racism. And is that real? And is that a thing? And they will share their anecdotal experiences, which are real and which are painful. And I don't want to negate that at all. But they'll say, I grew up in like a school or an area where I was one of the only white students and I was mistreated I felt that I was mistreated and judged because of the color of my skin, because in that situation, I was the more minority. And so they call that, they label that reverse racism. Um, and they, I feel like people like wanted acknowledged, like they're like, I've gone through a painful experience too, because of the color of my skin. So mm-hmm. that's racism too. Um, and so I was wondering if the two of you could speak to that, like is reverse racism real? Um, and just kind of explain this to listeners. Okay, the short answer to is reverse racism real is no, and here's why. So as Dr. Barry was talking about, and as we've been kind of unpacking, racism is about um, not only interpersonal uh, situations, but also the overarching system that we live under as a society. So these scholars and the people that we've mentioned before who are doing this research have defined racism not just as something mean that somebody does, a mean act that is done to you intentionally because of your race. It is prejudice plus power. So prejudice are these prejudgments that we have about people because of the social categories that they belong to. So if you prejudge someone based on their gender, based on their race, based on their sexuality, those all fall under the category of prejudice. And Black people can hold prejudice and do. Everyone holds prejudice towards other people. So we can hold racial prejudice against white people, and that is not okay. Like, validate that 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 is a thing that we disavow. But Black people cannot be racist and reverse racism is not uh, legitimate because we do not have the power to take our prejudice and implement them in a systemic way that disenfranchises white people as a whole. So when we are looking at the systems in our society and who is in power in each of those systems, education, healthcare, um, criminal justice, all of these systems were created at a time when the people in power were explicitly racist and it was okay in our society for, it was never okay morally, but it was, it was widely accepted that um, black people and their inferiority was part of the plan. And a lot of people feel like it was a, 
a message that has been sent from God. So if they're thinking these things and they have internalized these things and they're sitting down to make our country and make the systems, of course, they're going to have racist outcomes because they literally believed that white people are superior to black people and that they should rule over us. So understanding that those systems were created at a time when um, that when it was completely acceptable to believe in those things, it it helps you see that it's not surprising at all that the outcomes of the systems are racist outcomes. So we're not just talking about interpersonal situations where someone says a mean name to somebody. We're talking about overarching systems that have been set up to systemically disenfranchise Black people and um, advantage white people. So the the word that you're looking for for what happened to you is racial prejudice or racial discrimination. Discrimination is an act that is done based on prejudice. So yes, you may have been racially discriminated against, but it was not racism. And I want people to think about why is it so hard for you to not have that word put on what you have experienced? I've noticed that a lot of people when they hear that reverse racism is not real, they're frustrated. And I understand that you want your experiences to be validated, but we are not saying that racial prejudice is is just fine. We're saying that it should be condemned as well. Mm. That makes so much sense to me. Just your pain is real that that happened to you and and it was an act of racial prejudice, but prejudice plus power is racism, systemic power. And so that's the difference. Dr. Barry, I would love to hear your, your further thoughts on this. I was just going to say exclamation point to what Jasmine <laughs> said. That was excellent. And this is why if, if you are white and you experienced discrimination um, or someone was prejudiced against you because you were the racial minority in a group or a school um, and in, you know, in a community, um, it's important that you, um, yes, like you said, be recognized to be you you have been traumatized and you must 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 um deal with that trauma because i know people who okay that has happened to them like they were a part of they were white and they were part of the whole busing movement see this is what i'm saying we made the children do what the adults should have been doing mm. so they were part of the busing and then it did not go well for them as white people in terms of being the people uh, who had been subjugated and oppressed for so long, taking out their frustration on individuals, individuals. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, but, and so then because the white people who have been traumatized, um, due to racial prejudice, um, have never like been healed or even been able to connect that pain. Like you see that pain you experienced in that moment, like connect that to, um, generational pain of African-Americans. Um, but, they've never been able to heal. So then they refuse to be a part of the overall um, healing process of, um, of racism. I I heard a comedian say um, that reverse racism is actually, you know, going back 400 years and then undoing all of the racism. That's reverse (laughs) racism, not you feeling um, um, prejudiced. So yeah. Can I give an example that I think might help? Yes, people? please do. Um, so we all know the story of Rosa Parks, right? She got on the bus. Um, she was sitting in her correct section, I should add. Right. And a white man got on the bus and asked her to get up and give her his seat. 
And then the police, you know, arrested her, took her off the bus, all of those things. And it was the start of the Montgomery bus boycott. Well, so we see the prejudice and the power at place in this situation because Rosa Parks could not get on a bus and ask a white man or a white woman or a white child, anyone to get up from their seat and have them arrested for that. So we see if she, if she wanted to, and she held that prejudice and thought that the white people should be standing up for her. And she got on the bus and asked somebody, you are white. So you need to give me your seat. Nothing would happen. She would not be able to have, she does not have the power to enforce that. To call the police. And the power structure <laughs> wouldn't support her in that. Exactly. The powers that be right. wouldn't come to support her prejudice. Exactly. But the white person who got on the bus and asked Rosa Parks to get off, their power is reinforced by the structure because the police get involved and she's taken to jail. So you can see how the system is set up to support their prejudice when if a person of color holds that same prejudice, they cannot reinforce it. They can say something mean or do something violent, but there is not a larger system at play that's going to reinforce that prejudice. Beautiful. Yes. Well, this has been so fascinating and insightful. And thank you both for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge that you've gained over all these years of reading and researching and also your personal experiences. Thank you again so much for your time and for the good work that you're doing for the world, both of you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Okay, my friends, that was a lot to take in, but I hope you'll go and discuss this episode with your partner, your family, and your friends. I've had some incredible discussions this week prompted by podcasts and articles that I have read and wanted to discuss with somebody that I trust and respect. I wanted to make sure that you know about some continuing education opportunities that Dr. Barry and Jasmine are hosting right now. Dr. Barry is teaching a five-week online class about the history of racism and how we can take steps towards racial healing starting next Tuesday, June 16th. It will be every Tuesday evening for five weeks, and I'm already signed up to take it with my husband, Ryan. If you're interested, please go to brownicity.com to register. It's the What Lies Between Us course. Jasmine hosts a weekly podcast called First Name Basis, where she gives parents the education and tools to teach their kids about race, religion, and culture. I highly recommend that you go and listen to all of her episodes. And if you're interested in diving in deeper, she recently launched a membership site through Patreon, where you'll have access to monthly Q&As with her, as well as detailed notes from each of her podcast episodes, which I'm thrilled about because I generally am taking notes while I listen to her episodes. And now that work will be done for me. I've already signed up for that as well, and I'll put the links to all of that information in the show notes. And now for a recap of some of the key takeaways we've learned today. Question number one was, if children aren't colorblind, why don't my children ever describe people by the color of their skin? The takeaway here is that children won't discuss what they don't have the language or the permission to describe. Give them the language by teaching them about melanin and describing the different hues of humanity and try not to react uncomfortably to conversations about race with your children. And if you're wondering why it's important that children be comfortable talking about race, if they're going to be anti-racist, go back to episode 101 with Dr. Barry or listen to her TED talk. Question number two was, I have a black friend who says that he or she has not experienced racism, so it's hard for me to believe what I hear about racism in the news. Should I listen to my friend or should I listen to the voices of the media? The takeaway, listen to your friend's experience, but don't stop there. 
dig into the research and the history of systemic racism in this country. And remember that this is not just about overt discriminatory acts, such as calling someone the N-word or committing a hate crime. It's also woven into our country's major institutions and policies and the way they're enforced. Question number three, and this was the question that can get heated and confusing for people, is reverse racism real? The answer to this question comes down to definitions, which are important. Racial prejudice is real and can be harbored by anyone of any race, which is not okay. But the concept of reverse racism is not legitimate because remember, racism is prejudice plus power, the systemic power to protect or reinforce the prejudice. Friends, we could dive so much deeper into these topics, and I hope that you will through the many, many resources that are being highlighted right now. In my experience, it always blesses my life to learn about new concepts and new perspectives. It just adds to the breadth of my understanding of the human experience. I want you to know that I am doing this work with you, and we will continue these conversations in the coming months and years. Thank you for listening today, and this week, I hope you have lots of important conversations with your family.